Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 258 for Monday, August 14th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, also known as Pixelriffs, in the sky and on the internet. Hello, sir. Hello. We have been accused of droning on occasionally. Uh, we've been talking it up a storm in the render distance, in fact, and uh, we learned that Joel doesn't like being caught in the rain, but if you want to know his opinions on Pina Coladas, you'll probably have to listen to the post-show. We're talking about the render distance. It's the extended version of the podcast. You probably know about it if you've listened to the show before, but if you haven't, we do an extended version, a little bit of top and tail on the show every week. We're just talking about stuff that's been going on in our lives or you know, stuff that's interested us in the news or anything like that. Uh, that's over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. It's a perk for anybody who supports us on Patreon. They get an extended version of the show. Sometimes the extended conversation even talks about Minecraft a little bit. It, it has been known, especially if there's a particularly interesting topic that week. Um, as for our patrons, you've got a couple of other events coming up. We have just had our monthly Minecraft hangout. Finally, we got the June and July edition out of the way in about the middle of August. That was recorded this Saturday, August 12th. That's going to be published in the patron RSS feed today, ahead of episode 258, just so everything is in a chronological order in your feeds. Uh, the quarterly hangout recording is going to happen on Saturday, August 19th. That's where Joel and I talk about all the behind-the-scenes numbers of the podcast, how the podcast is performing, you know, search rankings and, you know, podcast charts and views on YouTube and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in a bit of number crunching, check that out. If you're a patron, it's going to be posted in the Discord as per usual. And next week is our Chunk Mail Dispenser, which isn't a Patreon-exclusive thing, but it is a reward our patrons unlocked from our Patreon campaign. So we're going to be listening through a lot more listener email and discussing some more of that that's come through to the inbox. One last thing while we're doing this housekeeping up front. I am planning a trip to Europe uh, at the end of the month, uh, so I'm probably going to be here for the last Monday in August, but will be gone the first Monday in September. So you might hear Joel and a co-host of a different Stripe talking about Minecraft instead of me, but then I'll be back with lots of news from a French cycling trip and... Uh, presumably Minecraft will have published all of their updates in the time I was gone, because that seems to happen every time I go on holiday. It's so funny. This is just me as a, as a naive non-European, as someone that lives in North America. When you say I'm going to Europe, my brain has to go, wait a minute, isn't he already in Europe? Oh, yeah, no, wait. Well, te technically speaking, the continent of Europe does include the United Kingdom. Um, but yes, we are, we are traveling via the uh, Channel Tunnel to France and uh, going on a bit of a cycling trip there. So looking forward to that. It's going to be the uh, first time in France in a, in a little while for me. And I am absolutely terrible with French, but hopefully the French people will forgive me. So what have you been up to in Minecraft now that the Pixel Rifts PC is back and in full working order? Yeah, I've had a full week of playing Minecraft. It's been a delight. Uh, first of all, I have sniffers, uh, finally. I took about an hour searching warm ocean ruins, sticking to the sandstone ones, and I found two eggs within about an hour, along with a bunch of other stuff. There was about, I think we decided, we, we, I looked through my statistics on a stream uh, to find out how many it was. I think I found 14 wooden hoes and two sniffer eggs. <laughs> um, but I did find, you know, pottery sherds and all that kind of stuff as well. So that was, that was nice. Um, hatching the sniffer eggs and waiting for snifflets to grow took longer because the eggs, if you don't plant them on moss, they take 20 minutes to hatch. I think they, they're 10 if you're on uh, if you put them on moss but then they take twice as long as any other animals to grow up so i think it's about 40 minutes it's two full day night cycles in minecraft and 
when you're trying to get a pair to breed with, that can feel like purgatory for a while. And then when you breed them, they have to be bred with torch flower seeds, so you have to have those two dig up seeds and if they have pitcher pods it takes longer so after a while i was just like please hurry up <laughs> you slow moving things but i i do love that i think the having spent a bit more time with them the design that's gone into them the the walk animation the texture of them i think they are a delightful addition to the game even if people find them a little bit lacking in functionality i think they make up for it in character and the fact that they have torch flowers and pitcher plants around the place is also kind of nice. So from our hangout this past weekend and seeing the various uses and ways people were displaying pitcher plants and torch flowers, my interest in sniffers has been renewed. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went and built Cosmic's little sniffer farm thing and I enjoyed the interaction. I thought it was kind of novel to see them. Uh, it seems like a pretty straightforward setup. Uh, they do feel like they're kind of a pain to get. However, now that I, you know, have neighbors that have them, uh, it's going to be quite easy for me to get my own sniffers should I decide to go that road. And I, uh, I can see it being a worthwhile effort now that they've got new flowers and, and different things that you can do in the game. I, I do find that they were noisy. Did you find that the, the constant kind of shuffle sniffle kind of thing to get kind of get on your nerves after a while? The noises are... Yeah, there's something that you probably want to turn down your like friendly animals sound slider for because especially if you have more than a couple of them in one place, it is a sort of constant drone at that stage. The other problem I have with them, though, is that they are so big that a lot of the time when they've dug up some seeds, if you weren't watching them do it, you look away, you look back, you can't tell whether there are any seeds on the ground or not because the sniffer model is just standing over them. And right. if you've got four of them in a moderately sized pen, like I think I maybe have a 12 by 12 area fenced off for them, they take up about half of it. <laughs> and so it's actually kind of difficult to spot, Like unlike, say, villagers who'd be harvesting crops and maybe leave a couple of seeds on the ground. Like, you can't see the sniffer's seeds. You have to get in there and wade through the sniffers in order to get hold of them if you're collecting them manually. And then you're spending half of that time looking at the inside of the sniffer model because of the way the collision with the, the thing happens. It's like right. if you're walking through a, a bunch of ghasts and you're spending half of your time looking at the inside of these marshmallow things. Um, it's kind of like that with, with sniffers. But... I'm looking into ways that you can automate collection. I've heard that villagers, farmer villagers, will actually pick up the seeds and plant the crops, but then they won't harvest the crops afterwards. So that can be an interesting way of automatically <clears throat> populating a field with them. But then, of course, because the plants don't produce seeds, they can't do it in perpetuity. You need to have a couple of farmers and a sniffer in the same place in order for them to continuously plant, and then harvesting methods are going to be kind of an interesting challenge. But I'm looking forward to doing a little bit of that. Um, the next thing I worked on was the blacksmith's house that I had in mind to go around my super smelter and struggled through this a little bit in the initial creative build. I wanted to include a red roof since it's blacksmith's. I wanted to have more warm color palette included and I started off with a roof that was entirely mangrove, which looked fine on one of the corners where I had the chimney and there was a bit more detail to the roof, but the other faces of the roof looked fairly plain and boring. So in the end, I went with a gradient that goes from blackstone and coal blocks all the way up through cherry um, 
crimson wood and then mangrove at the top and it looks a lot more like a kind of the, the type of gradient you might see builders like gemini tay using and i was yep. a lot happier with the build as a result like i thought the colors of it really ended up popping um and i wanted to use some of the build style that i'd put into my starter house framing out the sections of the house doing kind of like three by four panels where there can be windows or solid walls and establishing a style that felt like it was gonna be you know a, a uniform style for the area whilst varying things a little bit and i'm really happy with this the chimney is massive but it made sense uh, i'm probably going to build a forge type area on the ground level but then in the middle level the sort of house area uh, that's where the super smelter is, the, the furnace array, so I can build like a giant fume hood or something like that over the top of that, and it'll feel like it's feeding up into the same chimney. Also had a really great suggestion from somebody in my YouTube comments who said you should set it up with a redstone gizmo so that when the furnaces are active, you move a hay bale up and down underneath the chimney to indicate like nice. if the smoke is traveling higher, that means the smelter is still running, and then if it you know, retracts the hay bale again afterwards, the smoke is only going to rise a couple of blocks before it disappears, and that's how you know that the smelter is done. Really smart suggestion, and a practical way of using that campfire smoke effect, so uh, thank you to that person. I will get the username if I end up putting it in a video, and uh, I, I really look forward to adding that detail, because I think it's a very smart one. And and highlights the, the epic chimney. I really like the chimney. That mm. I've not seen anything like that before, where the chimney is, you know, at least six five by five or seven by seven at the base and then gradually gets down down to a three by three it looks like at the top yes and and i think that the fact that it doesn't go straight up either like it, it kind of looks like it leans into the house which makes sense because you, you'd have to lean it over all of the uh burning and combustion that you want to capture and then send out through the top of the of the chimney really really clever design i quite like it thank you yeah i i like the way it kind of sloped inwards a little bit and i wanted mm -hmm. to, to convey that impression and i liked being able to curve it a little bit by including some andesite walls in the corners so it didn't look like a, a completely squared off chimney like it felt a little bit more rounded so yeah i was happy with that um it's it's rare that i build a chimney that you can see so much of from the exterior but it just kind of fit the uh the pattern and it made the l shape of the building a little bit less pronounced from the outside which yeah I, mm -hmm. I really i really quite liked uh, my last major endeavor right now, which is still ongoing, is an automated storage system. Now I've got automatic smelting going, and now that I'm sort of outgrowing my basement storage in my starter house, I've decided to work on some automatic sorting. And I was setting up the sections for wood and stone and the kind of stuff that I'd had in my Season 2 Survival Guide storage room. And I wanted to leave a little bit of space because I'm trying not to repeat the mistakes I made in season two where I put the six wood types together in side-by-side -side item filters, impulse SV item filters, and then I continued into the other natural blocks like dirt and grass and mycelium and whatever else. And then in the next update, Mojang added mangrove wood and they've added two other wood types since, but I didn't have any room for it next to those filters. So I had to include mangrove wood in a completely separate section and sort of bolt on an extra storage system for 119 blocks. And so this time I'm building it with a view to the system being expandable in future. I've got all nine overworld wood types next to each other and I've left a bunch of extra filters next to those in case they add more tree types. But in doing that, I decided, well, I probably want to make it like 16 or so slices of, of filters all next to each other. 
and there's going to be 16 opposite that as well. So what would I put in 16 block long rows of item filters? Like what, what blocks am I going to store in bulk and that kind of thing? And I was trying to figure this out in rows. And I went into a creative world, put down a bunch of tinted glasses like placeholder blocks, and then went through replacing it with the types of materials I wanted and effectively created this almost like color palette style chart of everything that I wanted from different dimensions and the categories that made sense to me. Starting with the core building blocks, things like stone, stone brick and cobblestone, the decorative stone types, prismarine, all of that stuff going opposite wood, getting blocks from the natural world and colorful blocks and dyed blocks, terracotta and concrete powder and that kind of stuff, most of which is going to be sorted manually because there's no way I'm having an entire wall that's just the different types of concrete powder. But then I went through like the nether and the end and skulk blocks all kind of grouping together and then finally precious resources. And so now I'm looking at a storage system that's got uh, 32 item filters in each wing and it has four wings. So I have 128 item filters that I've got to build and it takes up a massive footprint in my world. But it's fairly close to my starter area still because I wanted this to be centralized storage for the long term of this survival guide world and i've as usual bitten off quite a lot more than i can chew uh but i chewed through the scenery to get enough stone that is finally gonna give me enough stone for all of the repeaters and comparators not sure where i'm getting a little redstone for it yet but in the meantime i can work on getting the blocks that i don't have access to yet like prismarine you know i haven't been to a piglin bastion yet i haven't even seen the deep dark in this world so i think it's a fun excuse if anything to branch out into other things to do in my world just to find the blocks that will go in these storage chambers eventually you know i really like a good automated storage system but i find that i lean more towards the bulk for my storage systems now yeah. rather than having every last little thing being able to be sorted i've never attempted any of those really fancy sorting systems where like you have to have like one of each item in the chest and the hopper either pushes the item in or do doesn't. And the idea is that each of your chests has to be completely filled with either a, a marker item or a, a placeholder item to have the thing work. And there always seems to be like a lot of droppers and hoppers and huge amounts of redstone. And I admire the people that can build them, even if it's just following instructions, but they just, they feel like overkill for me. And after almost three years working in West Hill with, the only automated storing system is the stone, the dirt, the wood. That's, and I think sand and gravel are the only things that I can just throw in a bin and have it be automatically sorted. Everything else has just been manual via shulker boxes. And I mean, the issue of course, is that I've got dozens of shulker boxes on the wall, but I find the nice thing about that is that I can pick them up and take them with me. If I need to have all of my spruce with me as I'm working on something, I can just pay, you know, pick up all of my wood shelter boxes and go to a location and do all the decorating or trimming that I, that I want. Do you have any plans to do like shelter box loaders or a shelter box wall where instead of chests full of things, you are eventually going to have like uh, shelter boxes full of things. For example, like the concrete powder where, you know, you don't need a whole wall of it. But at some point, having a shulker box full of, even if it's a shulker box that's divided with two colors, like yellow and orange, you know, like, would that be something that you'd consider? Or are you going with all chests? 
I think at that point it's going to be a different storage challenge, and so whether I can adapt that into this at the time or not is going to be up to how I feel at the time. But yeah, I, I haven't thought about shulker boxes much because I'm not at the stage where I can get them. I haven't gone right. to the end and done that whole thing yet, so... I'm going to play it by ear as far as incorporating shulkers into this. I think at the very least I would end up with an unloader at the entrance where the input chest for the whole storage system right. is, and that way it can it can just output into the input chest that I'm using to feed blocks around the system anyway. But as for individual things for different types of concrete, I expect most of those are going to be at the place where I decide to, if I'm, say, like, manufacturing concrete automatically, if I'm, like, you know hardening all of the concrete around a system and exploding it with tnt and then it all gets stored that's probably where i'd have different slices for different stuff like mob farms is the same thing i'm probably not going to store bulk mob drops here because when i set up a, an automatic hostile mob farm i'm just going to have storage there for all of the gunpowder and rotten flesh and string and bones and i'm not going to worry about bringing it all back here if that's just going to go to other places trade with villagers that kind of thing so yeah. for now i'm mostly just thinking about blocks and the way this filter is set up, because it's a kind of plus-shaped build, I do still have 8 by 8 areas on each of these corners that I could use for either decorative stuff with, like, aesthetic builds and, and dioramas or something, or it can be additional manual storage, or it can be where I put my shulker boxes, or it can be staircases up to a second layer of this that might contain more storage. There's a lot more I can do with it, and I think leaving room for expansion is kind of part of my mission statement at this stage. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I really like about my favorite sorting system on the Citadel, which is under the bank in the modern city of Southport, is that I've sorted out all of the ingredient items. So like I'm using a lot of concrete, but I'm not storing concrete. What I am storing is a lot of sand and gravel. Mm -hmm. And I've stored them in their filtered boxes next to the concrete maker, which is next to all the dyes. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. it makes it very convenient to to create concrete powder or make, a, you know, a small amount. There's a concrete uh, maker, like a, a, a TNT concrete maker farther up in, in the building, but I don't use it that often. And I also have the ever important overflow chests. Mm -hmm. Like there's a good two or three double chests of overflow. So in that system, I can really walk into the bank, go up to the ATM <laughs> and empty my pockets, just yeah. throw it all into a water stream. There's no shulker box unloader. Uh, actually, you know what? There might be, I lied, but it's, it's one of those things where like you just, you can absolutely just empty your pockets and not have to worry because even if it's not filtered, the handful of items that you have that are not filtered are going to show up in the overflow chest and there's lots of room. So well, speaking of shulker boxes, actually, that's one of the things that I had in mind this past week. Uh, I took a bit on Thursday to do some admin in the end on the Citadel, which is not a place that I've spent much time recently. Uh, a lot of it's been destroyed. It's been uh, decorated underneath the surface of the main end island. But as people fight the dragon, uh, it swoops down and has removed some of our decorations and stuff underground. Thankfully, none of the big farms in the area have been damaged uh we did lose the endermite that was kind of controlling the endermen that were spawning on the surface of the end island but uh, that whole system has been removed because the last time we were in the end for any length of time lighting was different you had to have everything lit up to seven now it's just anything above zero so it's a lot easier to keep the endermen off of the main end island so i went around and threw in some torches removed some of the old rubble from a build that had been destroyed 
But then I went around and I was removing all of the end gateways, the ones that take you out to the end islands. Yeah, right. And yeah, so we had that bug on the server because of how long the server's been around where I want to say out of the 10 portals we had, at least four had signs in front of them saying, don't go this way. The portal throws you out into the void oh, and yeah. you ultimately die and lose everything. Uh, Mojang fixed the bug in 1.19.3 or 4, one of those uh, .19 uh, releases. And we just haven't had a time, <clears throat> excuse me, to fix them. And to fix them, what you need to do is remove the portal and then respawn it by fighting the dragon. And I had planned on going in there with my admin privileges. You know, like I own the server. I could just sw switch into creative mode. I could use the fill command and just get rid of the whole thing. But then I thought, well, there's a lot of people out there that don't have admin privileges on their server and may want to either fix this issue themselves or just, you know, are in the process of wanting to fight the dragon and, and doing that kind of stuff. And so what I did was I went around manually and just used red mushrooms to <laughs> to destroy the, the portals. I mean, it was a very simple tutorial I found online. If I can find it again, I'll link it in the show notes. It was a minute and a half. Yeah. And I have to tip my hat to the person that made that tutorial. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if they mentioned their own name. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. they just said, look, this is what you're looking for. This is how you do it. You go two blocks down, two blocks over, plant the mushroom, bone meal it. Bob's your uncle. Done. R rinse and repeat. Now... I'm not sure yet if it's worked because, we, of course, we haven't fought the dragon again, which is on the list of server to do is because we want to fight the dragon 20 times, 10 to replace the portals that were removed and another 10 to complete the full circle of 20 portals around the main end island, never to be fought again. Uh, the plan on the server is to remove that process uh, of fighting the dragon and then allow cool things to be built in the end in and around the end island so that uh they don't have to be worried about being destroyed by the dragon and if we want more shulkers then every once in a while usually when there's an update to minecraft i go out to the, you know I, I go into a a chunk editor and i remove all of the end islands and just reset the outside so that if people want to go get more elytra or shulker boxes they can easily and so that's that's the next thing for me i'm probably going to fight the dragon at least once because i want to go and get more shulker boxes because I'm, I'm feeling a little bit um, cramped in my current organizational status because of the different things that Minecraft has added over the last few years. I feel like I just I need to expand my shulker um, collection to kind of keep things organized. I've, I've, I have a lot of junk shulkers just because I don't seem to have the room to store the extra stuff that I don't want to get rid of. And so I'm looking forward to that. And that was fun. It was nice to go around and you know, remove the portals. I took the time to use endstone to build decent sized platforms around the existing portals that we have staircases down. So we don't have to worry about Enderman spawning. Uh, then they don't all look the nicest because you're just kind of like haphazardly putting the staircases down to the closest landmass. And so they look a little bit sketchy in some places. Um, certainly not anything fancy to look at. They're just more function Minecraft stuff. Uh, but I didn't remove the bedrock, and I'm hoping that that doesn't affect anything. I'm hoping that when we fight the dragon and a new portal is spawned back in, it's just the block that will appear. And if the end stone does have, or the um, bedrock does have to um, be replaced, that it won't be an issue that it's still there. Because I didn't feel like removing all of the bedrock. Uh, certainly not in survival. I was like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. Uh, that would have been something I would have used a command for. But that that was essentially the early part of the week working on that it was a nice break uh from west hill uh when i did return to west hill it was uh, business as usual i was just working on putting the external textures on the keep 
And unfortunately, a lot of it is really close up and behind other buildings. So it's more about me knowing it's there and having a sliver of it from a view down an alley and uh, very hard to get a screenshot of because you can't get far enough away to take a screenshot. And uh, it's going OK. I, I, I like the idea of using the gradient that I had. Like I, I had mud and basalt going into deep slate, going into cobblestone into andesite. Now, a lot of what you can see from the ground as you walk around the town is just the cobble into andesite into stone at the top part of the keep, because that's what sticks out above all of the rooftops of all the other houses that you're, you're nearby. But the addition of the darker blocks at the bottom helped make an alleyway feel a little sketchier, you know, like maybe a place you don't want to be at night. It gives a little bit more mood, which I liked. I'm still really stumped on how I'm going to texture these massive towers to the east and the west. They're these big blocky square towers. I like the shape of them. And I've tried a couple of different things by like placing the odd brick block in there, the odd andesite block. And it looks okay, but it just doesn't seem to do what I want it to do. So I'm debating trimming some with maybe some wood. Having some deja vu, I feel like I've tried that already and didn't like it. But now I feel like maybe I don't have much of a choice. But it was really fun to take that gradient that I had established and just kind of like get the baseline of this is roughly the Y level where the basalt start started, the deep slate started and where the cobblestone started and bring that line around and kind of keep that through all of the other areas. So as you get higher in with a ground, you see less of the dark. And so it helps the like lower exposed part of the keep feel like it was built earlier feel like it's gotten wet with rain and the sun never hits it so it's always a little bit dark you know like so that kind of stuff was was kind of fun to mess around with uh but uh i'm getting close the the to-do list is is getting checked off we just have the towers i finished the ramparts there are some interior things that need to be done but i'm still on the fence about what furniture mod we're going to try to you know fold into the server uh, I haven't really had time to do the research on that. So it's coming, but uh, I'm looking forward to finishing this. And someone asked me on stream on the weekend, like, when are you planning on finishing Westdale? Like, do you ever see it being completed? And I really don't want to be working on this beyond three years. I think at that point, it's my own fault that it's not <laughs> yeah, finished. Sure. And and it feels a little bit strange now. Like when you say, yeah, two, and a, two plus years, you're kind of like, that's kind of a badge of honor. And then like when you're at three years, it's like, I need to maybe move on here. Like I'm starting to feel <laughs> three's a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not feeling, I'm still enjoying it. I, I, I still feel inspired actually by doing certain things in the area, but I also want to make sure that the content is, you know, fresh and, you know, having a, that new vibe. I know from playing a little bit of paleo this week, I certainly can feel my energy being different in a new game with new things to look at and new things to build and new systems to learn. So I think, you know, changing the pace in Minecraft is going to be important for me just as a creator. But uh, I also want to put like a feather in the cap and say, OK, this is done. Like I, I need to have that artistic decision within myself to say, OK, you need to walk away. Yeah, you, know, you need to call this complete. You need to get the um, the different mods for all the different camera moves and render out some nice screenshots and post them online and make a tour video like all that kind of stuff is going to happen eventually. But uh, so far, so good. Like it's just it's slow going. Um, but, uh, I'm looking forward to, to the final checkboxes and having that list is, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but like, it's been really, really satisfying to click things off on the list, but then also 
important from an organizational standpoint. And the only, I think, downside is that as I'm going around and doing these things that are on the list, you know, like texture, the, the Eastern external wall of the keep, check box. And then underneath that, you have to go like, you missed a spot of grass when you built that house. <laughs> There's an empty courtyard that just completely forgot about. So like you check off one thing and you add two more. Thankfully, yeah. they're small, but like I'm noticing a bunch of things like that. So there might be a pass where like I have to walk around. And it's like, okay, let's just not make a list. Just walk around and let's just fix everything that's kind of standing out. And uh, that, that'll probably take a little while, but um, so far so good. Yeah, as long as you don't have server mates who are the type of people to walk around the entire thing and go, you missed a spot <laughs> right uh. after you're like, I'm done with this, no more. I, I do think it's fun that you're you're both dealing with the end dimension and contemplating the end of West Hill as a project. There's kind of a fun uh, coincidence yeah. in there. Uh, one thing I will recommend before we get away from talking about the end in general is if you are certain that you're never going to fight the dragon again, first of all, make sure that anybody who wants to has acquired lots of dragon's breath because oh, yes. people don't use lingering potions very often. But I think in Survival Guide Season 1, I decided I'm going to turn the end island into something completely different i'm going to take down all of the obsidian pillars i'm you know end up with twenty six thousand obsidian or whatever it was from taking down half of them and then i realized that i needed to do an episode about lingering potions and so i had to respawn the dragon to get dragon's breath and i just facepalm and like right well cancel all of those plans because i'm not doing all of that work again um the other thing is if you are regenerating the end gateways and they don't work for whatever reason i believe the slash place feature command is your first port of call um, because that will regenerate an end gateway and also have it have the functionality where it will search for a valid place to generate a new gateway out in the further islands. So okay, cool. if, if for whatever reason respawning the dragon doesn't regenerate those gateways, then you can, you can get to it that way. Um, the other minor thing, along the same lines as Dragon's Breath, actually, make sure anybody who is advancement hunting on the server, or p potentially going to do that in future, has an opportunity to look at the dragon with the spyglass, because that's one of the advancements that they'll never get otherwise if you're not planning on spawning the dragon again. Right. No, that's that's fair. Uh, unfortunately, on the server, and I don't know why, our advancements reset every time Minecraft updates. Oh, do they? Oh, that's that's yep. annoying. Yeah. I, I don't understand why. And so I've never bought... I mean, I wasn't a big advancement hunter anyway. Uh, but I've never bothered with it because like when I log into Minecraft sometimes like I picked up some concrete powder the other day and it gave me like the hey this is a new block to you I was like no it's right. not yeah like that kind of stuff is really kind of a pain um, the the other thing too is that we still have the data pack on the server that allows the dragon to drop elytra so for folks that want to fight the dragon and build up some elytra uh, there are a few people on the server that are busy adults and really do not enjoy and city rating sure yeah um, they a number of people have lost items before and they just they just get tired of it it's very frustrating and so um we've added that to the dragon so people that want a spare set of elytra you know a new one plus a spare one fighting the dragon is a lot more straightforward there's a collection system on the other side so if the elytra goes through the portal then it should be easily collected in the spawn area as well so um that stuff is, is all you know part and partial of fighting the dragon a number of times as well Maybe you need to create some kind of like parkour course with a button at the top that dispenses an elytra for them with a command block or something. I'd be like, it's either this or you got to go end raiding, buddy. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Moving on into the news this week, there is a new snapshot, Minecraft Java Edition snapshot 23W32A. Changes in 23W32A, there are changes to the vibration mechanic. Vibrations no longer risk being lost on the limit of simulation distance. 
Using bone meal emits an item interact finish vibration of frequency 3. Unequipping items emits a new unequip vibration of frequency 4. Camels eating cactus emit an eat vibration of frequency 8. Chiseled bookshelves receiving books from hoppers, turtle eggs cracking, carrots being eaten by rabbits, and sweet berries being eaten by foxes now emit a block change vibration of frequency 11. Turtle eggs hatching and fire being doused by a water potion now emit a block destroy vibration of frequency 12. And evokers evoking vexes or fangs emit an entity place vibration of frequency 14. Technical changes in 23W32A. The resource pack version is now 17. A bug involving hunger icons was fixed in the slicer tool released with the last snapshot. The slicer tool is a tool that helps with resource pack migration. The data pack version is now 17 and optimized networking has been added to improve the experience of low bandwidth connections. Bug fixes of note in 23W32A. The wild and eye armor trims display floating pixels when applied to the chainmail helmet. Armor trim textures overhang the turtle helmet shape. A host's skin is not visible to other players in the LAN world if the host has not opened any world before. And the capes and skins of the hosts of a LAN world don't render in for other players. A detailed list of all of the bug fixes and technical changes available in the changelog on minecraft.net linked in our show notes yeah there wasn't a whole lot to say this week which is why i'm glad that our uh, discussion about what we've been doing has uh been a little longer than usual um i haven't really even got deep enough with skulk sensors to use them in survival guide let alone take advantage of any of the new changes but i think it's good to see some of these boxes being ticked nice to see that a feature like that is going to be supported long term instead of just left as it is and I always think about features like this whenever people say it's easy to add new stuff to Minecraft because so many little decisions have to be made and compatibility with, you know, is it going to trigger a skulk sensor and at what frequency vibration and that kind of stuff that it does uh, make sense that they're sorting them into more broad categories now. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to set up a system that automatically gives you more cactus when it hears a camel eating it nearby, uh, that's now possible using skulk sensors, I guess. And I think there's a few little bits that are a little bit confusing too, because like a camel eating a cactus emits the eat vibration of frequency eight, but carrots being eaten by rabbits and sweet berries being eaten by foxes now emit a block change vibration of frequency 11. Yeah. And I guess the difference is that you're feeding the cactus to the camel and that's it eating, but the frequency vibration of the block change is the sweet berry bushes being changed or the carrot crop i guess rabbits yeah. will eat a carrot crop I, I, an uh, interaction that i don't change. think i've ever seen because i no. never spend any time around rabbits and half the time if there are rabbits near my starter area they all just like hurl themselves off of cliffs because rabbit yeah. behavior is <laughs> it's right. just, yeah. just the, the the worst for self-preservation um but yeah no it, it seems like that's the the logic behind those changes yeah is that they are effectively block changes because those things are planted in the world instead of something the player is handing to the animal Skulk sensors are on my list of things to play with, and I'm really happy to see that they've got such a deep system that I can mess with, because when I finally move to build in a sci-fi zone on the Citadel, one of the things I'm hoping to design and incorporate into whatever I build are going to be some cool automatic doors that will open as the player approaches based on vibration frequency, not 
pressure plates, trip wires, you know, like I yeah. don't have to touch anything. I don't want to walk up to the thing and have it open like an automatic door. And I don't know whether it's going to be piston based. Maybe it's going to be like a water curtain. I don't know. But I've just got this idea of walking down a hallway and having each door kind of open in sequence as you go go by perfectly timed, you know, I, and I think that would be really cool. It'd be a fun puzzle to work out. And if I can do it in a way where I can then silence the uh, skulk sensor noises and and have the the vibration frequencies be accurate to like either my footsteps or some other kind of presence like whatever that happens to be i think that could be that could be really really cool in that kind of area all you need to worry about at that point is the shushunk of the piston noises but uh that actually right. yeah kind of goes hand in hand with one of the emails we've got coming up so how about we move on into email Sounds like a plan. All right. Uh, if you're interested in emailing the show, getting your email read and potentially opening it up for discussion here on the podcast, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. This one comes in from Bren Robb, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is feedback on villager changes. Hey, Joel and Picks, long-time listener from Tennessee here and recent subscriber to the Patreon, congrats on four stacks of episodes. I've been enjoying your discussion on the villager changes, and I wanted to share my thoughts on the subject. One, I've seen a lot of complaints that this change will make trading halls more grindy. Personally, this new process seems way less grindy to me, since each librarian only has three types of enchantments that they can cycle through. It might be more time-consuming to set up, but I'd rather spend my time exploring and discovering the world than pushing a lectern back and forth with a piston, you know? <laughs> Spot the bedrock player, you can't, do, you can't push lecterns around on Java. Two, max level librarians should sell the best books in their category, otherwise it would be impossible to create some of the best equipment with just villagers. Also, if Mojang decides to overhaul enchanting, they should remove the anvil cap. We can already invest limitless XP into our equipment through mending, why not let players invest that XP through the traditional anvil repair method? Three, this is the perfect opportunity for Mojang to add abandoned villages to swamps and jungles. This would still require players to cure zombie villagers and set up the infrastructure, but it would support that process. It could also lead inexperienced players down the path of thinking, hmm, maybe there could be a new type of village here. Plus, both biomes could use an additional structure. Thanks for all the great episodes, looking forward to more. Bren Rob fell from a great height and hit the ground too hard, and then he woke up. That's, I don't want to dream about Minecraft. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore. But mm -hmm. I just, yeah, the amount of things that can go wrong in a Minecraft world, not not a good dream. I, mm -hmm. I don't feel like, because it's either it's either peril or like stress from like trying to figure out what block goes where. And it's, just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not how I want to spend my, my sleeping hours. Um, I think number one is a really good point regarding the workload going into breeding villagers in different biomes, removing some of the random role results players currently have to deal with. And I think that that's really, really important to to point out. The RNG side of villager trading is not something I enjoy. And if you say, hey, if you breed this villager in this area, then you're going to see guaranteed this trade, but also just these other three. Those are the only other three you're going to see. And those are the only other three you have to worry about getting as high as you can. I, I think that does warrant you know, the positive feedback of like, that's good. I'm glad I don't have to worry about like what random trade out of the dozens of trades am I going to get with this librarian? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I do think the idea of a guaranteed mending or unbreaking book is definitely more attractive than the prospect of breaking and replacing a lectern hundreds of times, which is how we have to do it in Java edition. And yeah, I, I think it, it depends on your 
process, I think, and where you like to go. Like, some people don't like exploring in Minecraft at all, and those people have my sympathies because so many of the changes they've made recently have been promoting exploration. And some people just like to sit and breed villagers in one place until they have the entire population of a trading hall. It might also be desirable for those folks to have villagers who all dress the same, for whatever reason, like there's a uniformity to it that goes with the aesthetic of the trading hall that they're designing. And instead, you're going to have to have three villagers from a swamp, three villagers from a jungle, three villagers from a plains biome and whatever around the outside, which is cool looking, in my opinion, adds kind of like a diversity of things. You're not just looking at the same guys. And it's perhaps even easier to remember the swamp trader is the one to go to with mending instead of like going through and right clicking or having to set up a, a system of signs right. to make sure that you know which villager has which trade. It's going to be easier to associate villagers with specific trades from that point forth. Um, but yeah, like that part I certainly agree with. Um, and the part that I think I struggle with the most about these changes is what we discussed in the in the previous episode, the, the esoteric nature of understanding that swamp and jungle villages exist in the world and they are something that you need to go and, and and find and cure. And so I think point three of this email is another one I agree with. Having any kind of indication in swamps and jungles that the villages are different and that you can discover them there, whether it's an entire abandoned village or just like a broken down witch hut that has a villager in it or a, a jungle temple maybe has like a cage in there that's got a villager trapped and could even put potentially put them at peril of being shot with that dispenser with the arrows and that would be in a way kind of cruel but also a little bit funny if you dodge the arrow and then you just hear this owl from behind you because it's hit a villager and they're like oh there's a villager here let me deal with that um so i i think there's there's potential for villagers to be included in those structures and i think it it would add a little bit more like they said to um to to jungles and swamps to have an additional structure in there yeah i feel the same way about number three the abandoned village idea is great i think we had mentioned like on the show a, a witch hut cage or like a villager prison similar to a outpost from a, a pillager yeah but the idea of jungles and swamps having abandoned villages especially if they are like run down they're maybe ruined a bit. I think that's a great breadcrumb for players to indicate that there are potential other villagers that you could breed in those areas. It's also a great um, kind of prompt for players to potentially build what a village could have looked like if it was a swamp village that was fully functional and, and fully populated. Same with the jungle. And it does kind of hint at trail ruins as well. Uh, I, I feel like there might be a little bit of a push and pull there where trail ruins happen in jungles, but then also having ruined villages and jungles might be a little bit strange unless they did something really creative where the jungles and villages were like in the trees. That could be really fun. Uh, yeah. I think that there needs to be some sort of indication. I like that idea that there needs to be something indicating that there are villagers, you know, potentially that would have inhabited the swamps and, and the jungles to complete that circle. Uh, I'll give a quick shout out to fire dragon 19, who also wrote in with similar idea, uh, suggesting two villagers spawning in thematic structures in jungles and swamps, similar to how we already have igloos in the game. Uh, so it wasn't a abandoned village, but it was the same sort of idea. It was some sort of unique structure that had a villager in it for the swamp and jungle villagers in their email. Yeah. Having a, different an equivalent of igloos that happens in a different biome kind of makes sense because 
people typically also don't visit snowy biomes all that much. If you do, you're getting a couple of resources you're just passing through, or very occasionally I find people want to do some thematic building there, but realistically, I don't see that many people building in, in ice biomes. Like, the last couple of seasons of empires where we've really gone in with an idea of which biomes we want to build in nobody has picked the ice biomes <laughs> if anything ice is an afterthought it shows up later but um yeah I, I do i do think having some sort of equivalent of those igloo basement structures in jungles and swamps sounds like a really cool idea and also spreads them out across the different types of biomes so swamps being more temperate and jungles being warmer biomes so that you've got all three of the sort of heat map biomes covered there. I think that's that's a pretty smart suggestion. I do agree with the second point uh, about revamping uh, librarians to have their um, trades go all the way to the top. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I think that one of the reasons that Mojang is limiting the resourcefulness of librarians is to spread out the need for other systems in Minecraft, like the enchanting table and the anvil to need to be used in order to achieve your full enchantment levels on all of your tools. Um, so I would say prepare yourself for that players. It's probably not going to be a thing where you can return to librarians and get your full trades without it being really expensive. Uh, I like the ideas that they had to change the anvil though, because we have the ability to, to have like limitless XP put into your equipment with mending. So why not let players invest XP through traditional anvil repair methods is something that uh, Bren Rabbit said. And one of the things I'm curious about, and I'm glad that Minecraft doesn't do. So in a way, I want players to be thankful for this, is that enchanting doesn't require, you know, an additional consumable item for endgame like diamond or emerald. Yes, you've got to use some lapis, but like the, the anvil in particular, when you're combining enchantments, doesn't require you to sacrifice. Like, I mean, if you're combining tools, it does. But like, if you're combining books, it doesn't, right? So there's no emerald cost or diamond cost. I'm just thinking about the RPG systems that are in other games where it's usually like an in-game currency like gold to repair your items or to update them. And it usually goes exponentially more expensive as you progress. And so... Um, I know the enchantment system seems to have like a ceiling. And I think that because there are abilities to have a lot of XP in the game, I don't mind that things get more and more expensive on the enchanting, uh, not the enchanting table, the anvil when you're combining books or you're combining tools. But I don't think that there should be a hard ceiling. If something is going to cost 200 XP to combine and, and function, fine. I have ways that I can get 200 XP. Like it's not beyond the game. You know? Yeah, and anybody who is getting to the point where they have tools that are going to cost that amount to repair, they are probably the type of player to invest enough time in the game that you'd get a decent Agreed. XP farm. Or at a certain point, it would be a deal breaker for the player, but uh, that's not something that's enforced by the game mechanics themselves. I think that that's that still makes a great deal of sense. But yeah, like, like you, I don't think with the rebalance they're aiming to do here i don't believe we're gonna get max level books out of villages anymore um it's just a good thing that things like mending don't have tiered levels because otherwise we'd be mm. struggling even further um throughout all of this villager thing this is just another food for thought you know footnote here before we move on to the next email i'm curious if mojang would consider giving more thematic 
trades to other villager professions from different biomes. So let's say the stonemason, for example. Would the stonemason of a certain type of village be more keen on trading resources from near that village? Say, like, they always have a terracotta trade, I'm pretty sure. And so would a savannah village, which uses stuff like orange terracotta in its houses, in the actual buildings, would it be smart for them to always trade you orange terracotta or like glazed terracotta i think orange shows up in deserts so maybe you get the glazed terracotta from there and then plains villages always have the the white and yellow kind of colors so maybe you can be more guaranteed to get stonemason trades of those specific colors and again that cuts down on the sheer number of villages you need to add to your trading hall if you're going for all of the potential trades I struggle to see how that could be applied to some of the other villager professions because especially with like leather workers for example you are really maxing out the possible trades that they can give you there really aren't that many variations on what a leather worker can do but I would like to see them apply the same philosophy to other villager professions that they have to librarians just for the sake of a bit of diversity and more reward for players who want to go out and get specifically swamp villagers of certain professions. Next email comes in from It's Ekens, a new way to muffle sounds. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I've recently rediscovered an age-old problem that's been getting on my nerves for pretty much the entire time I've played Minecraft. That problem is sound. When building a farm or redstone contraption involving a lot of loud blocks or entities like pistons, it can get annoying if a build or someplace you visit a lot is nearby. I've been thinking about ways around this, and I might have come up with a solution. Wool already blocks vibrations from reaching skulk sensors, so it's possible that I could block sound itself as well. Of course, the problem is that players building with wool may not want to have sounds muffled. Therefore, a new block could be added called something along the lines of packed wool, which could be crafted using four wool, an alternate idea being four wool or wool surrounding a middle string. Hopefully this is a viable way to block muffled sounds without going into options menus every time you go near a noisy farm or build. It's Ekens died of an earache because he built a piston contraption too close to his base. <laughs> yeah, it's an almost universal problem with anybody who builds stuff where pistons are moving around. This is what I was referring to earlier when you said you had a... Uh, a design for automatic doors for your sci-fi build and thinking it sure would be nice if the doors opened with a kind of gentle kind of sound instead of shushunk um yeah but yeah like i i was thinking about this and they did experiment with this a little bit when tinkering with skulk sensors and note blocks specifically there was a period through which note blocks could only be silenced if you put wool or a wool carpet on top and that ended up being reverted because of the amount that note blocks were used in redstone contraptions, and that was just going to really irritate the technical community if they couldn't shut up these note blocks. So sort of the same thing, but done in a in a slightly different direction, I suppose. And like I like the idea because it feels like a thematic development for wool. Um, I think the problem really is calculating all of the angles at which players should be able to hear things in kind of the same way that whenever you surround a skulk sensor with wool, there are still often ways that the noises can get out. Like if you've ever tried to raid an ancient city and you thought you'd covered all of the possible angles that it could trip a skulk shrieker 
and then you open a chest and the shrieker still goes off somewhere. A lot of the time, just like odd gaps and corners and block positioning and stuff like that is difficult enough on its own when you're applying that to blocks that are placed on a grid. But in order to calculate that for the player and the player's position being, you know, an infinite number of sub-fractional amounts of a block that you can move, I think it just becomes too complicated at that point. Like, I love the idea, especially because of how noisy some of those redstone contraptions can get. And it would be nicer to be around pistons if you could just mute their noise individually. But I'm not sure on a technical level it's really going to work out. I agree. And I think that that's why they've separated out vibration frequencies from actual sound yeah. in the game. And uh, it means a lot of technical stuff on the back end, but it means an entirely new way of dealing with redstone and different things to consider and control, which I think is the key thing. And by adding vibration frequencies, it gives the player the ability to control those and not affect how other players might hear the game in like a multiplayer situation. And I think that separation is absolutely not only just intentional, but like I think integral in having it function at all, which is unfortunate because I like the idea of muffling sound, having more control over sound in the environment. I like the idea of using this packed wool block to create a very eerie silence. Like, you know how weird it is sometimes if you're in a sound dampened room and you can kind of yeah. like your own breathing starts to sound loud. <laughs> yes. I, I think that that kind of thing could be very cool in Minecraft, especially if you were crafting mini games, crafting a very distinct base, base experience for visitors, like all that kind of stuff could be very, very fun. Uh, there could also be like games where sound direction could be, you know, queuing people through a maze. Like there's all kinds of different possibilities if it was possible. Um, I think it should be more complicated as far as a block goes you know because i think maybe slime or some other kind of more difficult thing to obtain could be folded into the wool to make it more soundproof quote unquote uh i mean obviously as a builder i just like the idea of another wool block like some other kind of texture because i don't find wool works in a lot of what i want to do i would much rather have a smoother block or something that has a little bit of texture but remains those primary colors uh in the same sort of way that concrete is so devoid of texture it can be very hard to work into your builds if your other blocks have textures in them and i think that having something in between like a packed wool or i mean maybe it's not called packed wool maybe it's just called linen or some other kind of you know made up block for minecraft something that doesn't have to be tied to the real world could be a lot of fun one way to fix this though would be to remove the idea of a block in the game blocking sound and just add earplugs <laughs> but make it Minecrafty. Like we have a spyglass, right? That allows players to zoom in, which is an in-game way of doing the zoom key in a lot of different um, either data packs or uh, mods in the game. And I wonder if an extra item that you could wear on your person, like earmuffs or like, I don't know what you could use. Like maybe it gives a new uh, idea for bats like maybe it's something a bat could drop could be something that you could put on your head, you know, uh, like a bat band or a headband or something that you could then put over your ears if you didn't want to hear those things. I guess the difference is that you then wouldn't be able to hear anything like you wouldn't be able to hear chickens, cows, you know, you wouldn't be able to hear zombies or creepers walking up behind you like it, de it depends on what that actually blocks. And so there has to be a little bit of Minecraft imagination. But that, like having an item like that in the game would remove the 
I guess, the in-game technical difficulties of trying to block sound direction and just have it be almost like an in-game version of going into the menus and turning down block noises, right? G the B in our live chat has another curveball suggestion for this is that you could craft a silent piston if you had something like calibrated sculpt oh, sensors you where you, you craft the piston together with wool and instead of a sticky piston maybe the two end up being mutually exclusive but you can have a silenced piston and maybe forcing players to just use one or the other could kind of encourage people to come up with some different solutions for, for other contraptions certainly a, I like that. a neat suggestion yeah um, let's move on to our main discussion topic for this week, which also comes from a listener email. Uh, this one from Zenith, who is another landscape artist member of our Discord, with the subject of a blockopedia. Good morning, Zenith here with some food for thought. I've recently gotten sucked into a game called Slime Rancher, and it has a particular feature that I think would benefit Minecraft greatly. They call it the Slimepedia, which is essentially an in-game encyclopedia that gets gradually unlocked as new slimes, materials, and locations are discovered. It's opened with a single button and has tabs for each section. I ended up referring to it constantly to check what food each slime prefers and other details that were very useful. It kept me from visiting the wiki until I needed to find the last collectibles. We have the recipe book in Minecraft, but as has been discussed, that's just not good enough with so many systems in the game. I watched someone recently who trialed, tried not to spoil himself working with armor trims, and he eventually ended up making a wall of signs detailing what material each trim needs for duplication, which he realized after using one up before duplicating it. It feels unnecessary for a modern game to require us to go to a wiki for information like that because it isn't shown well enough in-game. Zenith was lost in thought reminiscing about the strategy guide books they used to buy with new games. I really like this idea. I feel like I might have mentioned it once before in passing on the show, but I thought it was worth uh, a decent discussion because in a way Zenith is saying like, yeah, I'd like to have this idea, but like what, what would it look like if Minecraft had this? And Satisfactory, a game that I play quite a lot, has a similar system called a codex. And granted, it works a lot better in Satisfactory because it's a sci-fi game. So you have a little digital, you know, tablet thing kind of with you at all times that allows you to look up different things about the game. But it's essential in Satisfactory because of the exponential complexity of the manufacturing and relationships between items in the game. And it's also gated. If you haven't discovered it or advanced to that level yet in satisfactory then you can't look it up in the codex so you can't get ahead of yourself so when you land in the game and you open up the codex it's not bombarding you with hundreds of items and definitions and possibilities and alternate recipes and all this kind of stuff it's also searchable so as you play the game longer and it's been a really long time since you've built something from the early stage of the game and you need to look up what does it like how do i make iron rods again like what's the ratio i need you can search you can just open up the the um the codex and search also as you discover new things you don't have to scroll through items and items and items that you already know to find the new thing that you just discovered you can just type in plutonium fuel rod and it'll show you know it'll show up immediately to show you this is the path that you need to take here are the seven steps step one and then you can kind of go about your gameplay working on that and I think that Minecraft could easily imagine something along the lines of a player journal where the player is quote unquote writing down each new lesson that they've learned in the world that they've just spontaneously spawned into. And you know, you get the 
early in-game flashes of like you've just punched a tree here are the different things that you can build with wood here's how to build a crafting table and then once you build a crafting table you get the you know different recipes unlock and you the the, the recipe book starts to show you and granted i know that we've talked a lot about having different books related to different blocks so like having a recipe book with the crafting table then you also have a potentially a recipe book in the um brewing stand that kind of thing separates it all but in game i think it would be cool if you could open up your journal even search it to say like hey you know what have i done to unlock a certain level things could have uh like a tiered system so like you've unlocked potion brewing potion brewing comes up as a codex input and then there are subcategories underneath that and you will only unlock the different types of potions as you discover the items that you can use to then make them uh, you could even gate it farther and say like you don't know anything about a fire resistance potion until you actually make one successfully and then congratulations you've done it here's the recipe like here's the essentially the dumbed down version of a wikipedia entry on how this is done what you need to make it what block you need to have around to do it um i think having information about villagers and how they interact would be good like there's all kinds of stuff that could be done in the game you know now the advancements tab sort of pushes players in that direction like down that research path but i don't really find it complete in any way and as someone that's not an advancement hunter, like I, I really forget that it's in the game. So having a codex kind of indicate to you, okay, well, I've discovered something for an example, like potion brewing, and I've discovered one or two potions. How many are there? What other things could I try to try and unlock this kind of stuff? I don't know if it should go as far as to say there are 12 potions in the game. You've unlocked two, indicating to you that there are more things to try. I don't know whether that's too much handholding or whether it should just say, here are the two that you've discovered. And that just kind of prompts you to look for more without really knowing, you know, how many more there are from, from the game. Um, so th that, that's kind of like my initial feedback is that I, I really like the idea because I, I think that Minecraft has complicated enough systems now where it maybe wasn't warranted when Minecraft first came out, maybe not even in like 1.10, 1.12, but now that we're into 1.20, I really feel like something like this could benefit the game. See, I'm on the fence about this because on the one hand yes having a deeper set of in-game tutorials allows people to get more familiar with the game on the other hand is the game what it is today because of the level of community that had to develop around this game mm. because of people needing to share information about what they found out and emergent mechanics and that kind of thing um before we discuss all of that i feel like for a start this idea is sort of at odds with Minecraft's low text approach, assuming that it works like a version of the Minecraft wiki within Minecraft itself. And I think that could be resolved by making it largely pictographic, which could still work, especially for reference guides to potion brewing, as an example. Like, the version of that, the, the flowchart that you see on the Minecraft wiki, is also mostly pictographic. And it will point towards different potions and it will have labels for them. But in game, you could just brew the potion and find out what it does from the label that pops up when you hover over it. Or when you hold it in your hand and the, you know, name of the item appears over, over the hotbar. Um, I feel like basic 
explanations of redstone components if we wanted to go in like a text-based angle uh, especially the redstone components with more esoteric uses like comparators for example i don't think anybody truly knows how a comparator works from the examples that you get in game like what does switching the light on and off on the front of the thing do and I doubt there are that many people out there who will discover the full range of things a comparator can do through trial and error. <laughs> I think if those people exist, then they are, like, maybe more intuitive than I am with any kind of technological, like, circuitry. Or they are, like, you know, just doing so much testing that they brute force their way through it and would have to record their observations so that they could remember what exactly each setting of a comparator does. Um, the other thing I think we get from having a, a reference guide within Minecraft itself is more players getting blown up by creepers because they leave the reference guide open and keep reading it and then it becomes nighttime and they don't realize and then a creeper walks up behind them and blows them up. I, I gather, on, you know, on, on single player it might pause the game the way the pause menu does, but uh, in multiplayer instances probably not. <laughs> so I expect we'd get a few, a few more creeper holes than we had before. Um, look... Going from something you said a little bit earlier, I think the biggest problem with an in-game guide is where do you stop? Because right. every time, like, if you look at the Minecraft wiki as an example of this, there are player-made contraptions and the sort of emergent gameplay that happens, guides to how to farm crops most effectively, guides to how to make a mob farm, like, stuff that, for a start, I think surpasses the developer's expectations of the game from back in the day when these mechanics were introduced. But how much of that would be necessary in-game? How much do you still leave open to the imagination and the experience of the player? I think one of the most curious examples of not having any kind of text reference in-game is that without being told what a creeper is called, there is nothing in-game that tells you it's a creeper until you blow up a creeper with a charged creeper and you obtain an item called a creeper head because they drop gunpowder gunpowder is anonymous it doesn't say creeper gunpowder on it and the only other way you can find that out is by going into creative mode and getting a creeper spawn egg but it's so fascinating to me that without that knowledge nobody knows it's called a creeper unless they are told it's called a creeper and that that's that's one of those things that yeah for moments like that Oh, I guess if it, if you die to one, yeah, that's people in the the live chat are pointing out that yeah, it says you get blown up by a creeper. But I'm I'm more careful than that. I don't get blown up by creepers. <laughs> I, I, I kid, I kid. Um, so yeah, like it, it it's curious to me that yeah, without the experience, like if you're cautious enough around this thing that hisses and and expands when it gets close to you, then I think yeah, you would only know by having some kind of in-game reference guide. But does it take away some of the the mystery of the world and does it take away the opportunity to explore and interact with the community and meet other players i think so much of the multiplayer angle of minecraft in recent times especially has been pushed as a way to connect people and as a way for you to have something in common with somebody else around the world who you know can play minecraft with but you don't necessarily share a language and Minecraft being language agnostic in terms of the systems that it provides allows for stuff like that. Not even counting the translation effort that would have to go into 
translating a, an in-game reference guide for a variety of languages, considering that all of the language packs that are in Minecraft now have largely been created by volunteers. I think it's an undertaking that potentially removes some of the community aspect that makes Minecraft special. I don't know how you feel about that, Joel, but like that's that's the angle I'm approaching this from. I think it's me coming at it from the end game wanting Minecraft to feel more like a modern game. Yeah. I think that's where I'm I'm in it. And I think that's the the idea of where you would stop an in-game codex, I think is is probably important. Like I think that there probably realistically has to be both. Like mm -hmm. the community-based knowledge, the wiki-based knowledge. When you're into the game that deep and you need to figure stuff out, I think that going to YouTube and stuff is it's you you have to play within the house that's already built, right? Yeah. And I think the part for me is like as a long time player and then going through different things that I maybe haven't done in a while. For example, last week I tried to smelt endstone to make endstone bricks, which <laughs> is not how that's done. Yeah. And there is an in-game, like there's a recipe book for it. Like I could have just checked, but I just, I just absentmindedly tried to do it and then wondered why it wasn't working. And then had to pull all of my endstone out of hopper systems in the end because I had like a small smelter there. And I was like, that was dumb. Like I just created a lot of work for myself because I completely forgot how that's finished. And I'm wondering if there could just be, if not expanded knowledge, at least a central tab in the game for the existing knowledge, kind of all piled in one space. Yeah. Right. And that, that could be beneficial um, for players and, I think that, you know, having it be pictographic could be fine in terms of recipes. And um, I think things get really uh, complicated in the recipe book, especially if you've got any kind of data pack where there's an alternate recipe and there's an ability in that data pack to then add that alternate recipe to the uh, to the recipe book where, you know, like you'll be looking at a fence recipe and then there's all these different woods that kind of rotate through. I don't find that that intuitive to understand that I can build this with the wood that I have in my inventory. Like a, the, the recipes available don't always reflect what you're holding. And I feel like a codex could remove some of the convoluted nature of the recipe book by saying like, look, we're going to put all the stuff in a different place. I like the idea too which I know exists in the creative menu, but it's kind of nice sometimes as the block palette expands to kind of go through and look at things and try to get like a larger picture of what it might look like in the world, you know, in terms of um, what trapdoor do you want to use to decorate your house? Well, there's a lot of trapdoors now and it would be kind of cool to go to a trapdoor part of the codex and just see all of them next to one another going like, oh yeah, right. I forgot the crimson or trapdoor looked like that. Or I, I forgot the... Um, mangrove trapdoor had a round window i'll go with that one you know and and i think that as things get more complicated it would be good to have maybe not necessarily a codex that has a lot of text base but a codex that has just like a visual inventory uh, of what you can do in the game and recipes about how it might be done i think ultimately it boils down to boils down to recipes i think some of it could be good for the vanilla in-game stuff like how an end portal functions or not not end portal but like uh, the the portal in the in the stronghold where you kind of like have to complete the circle of mm -hmm. ender eyes and things like that like there could be some things like that could, that could be useful once you've done it 
But again, that doesn't really provide any information for a player that hasn't done it yet. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting discussion. Like I can see both sides to the idea of having something more convenient in the game versus removing that community interaction and knowledge sharing that happens outside of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, th this is something I would love them to do. I mean, not necessarily Mojang, but almost like you could do it as an independent study. Create a mod that creates more of a tutorial experience for players. Like, it deepens the tutorial of Minecraft and gets you familiar with the basic concepts of the game it, it, as an in-game resource and, and creates this kind of codex thing. Yes, mods like uh, just enough items, nearly enough items, not enough items, whatever it tends to be called these days... Um, those exist but they aren't necessarily going to show you how to use a comparator for example like that's that's the kind of my my uh shining example of anything teaching you minecraft is does it teach you how to use a comparator and the difference between learning what a comparator does and understanding how to use it because those are two very different things like people mm. ask me on on streams and in videos occasionally like you know how a comparator works and i can show you how a comparator works and i can tell you how a comparator works and those are two very different things and i find that a lot of the time it's the trial and error process that teaches people more about what these things can actually be used for instead of the theoretical understanding of what they do in isolation in a vacuum and that's what a technical guide might tell you if it says this is what a comparator does here are the four modes of a comparator or whatever then you can you can puzzle your way through how you would use it from there but you've got to have a fairly technical mind in order to do that um i i kind of agree with one of the points in this email which is that like the recipe book it should be added to gradually as new things are discovered right so it doesn't tell you ocean monuments exist until you've found an ocean monument and been shot by guardians and entered like the bounding box of that structure in the same yeah. way that the game doesn't tell you you can craft a boat until you dip into water or if you happen to know the crafting recipe for a boat already uh so there's there's yeah a few a few things like that that the the basic foundations of exist in the game already but they don't end up completely destroying your sense of discovery and so you'd have to acquire blocks and items before you got a description of them and I think the risk is just guiding the player too much. I, I sort of wonder in that A-B test, this sort of theoretical idea of there being more of a tutorial experience for Minecraft, who would have more fun? <laughs> would it be the mm. same Minecraft if you weren't thrown in at the deep end? You might get a quicker start. You might understand more that, oh, it's nighttime and, and you know, m monsters are going to come out. I better go and hide. But, like, would you would you experience the game the same way and would you have as many stories to tell at the end of it like so much of that is is going to be you know very very anecdotal depending on who you ask whether or not people would find that experience more fun i think one of the things that has me drawn towards the idea of a codex in game is local access to information as you learn it and I've been playing more Paleo over the last week. And as that game play experience expands and I have to learn recipes for new things, which are similar, but different to Minecraft, like there's different components and, and that kind of thing, but you can only access those recipes from the crafting um, placement item. Like, so when you're at your smith smithing table, 
or, or your um, your smelter, that's where you can read the recipes for the di various different metals that you can smelt. There's no other place to look it up in the game. You don't have a, a recipe book on you that you can look up, that kind of stuff. And you very often have to travel to other places, either different zones or talk to different villagers to get items that you need to progress further. But you're like, crap, how many copper bars did I need to make? And you can't look it up. You have to go all the way back to your house, look at the at the recipe for the thing and go, oh, right, I needed eight or 12 because I need to make these two things. And I think that having a codex in that game, particularly as I'm learning new things, would be very, very helpful. And I can see how even just having that kind of access, like, yes, I know that you've got access to the a recipe book in Minecraft whenever you open your inventory, but only if you put down a crafting table do you have access to everything you can build. You can only look at things that you can build in a four by uh, two by two grid if you're on your own. Uh, and I think that having a journal or something like that, that could give you at least the the references to the things that you've picked up, you know, uh, and, and things that you can make would be would be helpful in that way. Um, again, I feel like it would be a really good question to ask someone that is new to the game. So I'm curious for anybody that's that's listening to the podcast. Usually players are maybe farther along if they're listening to the spawn chunks. But if you or someone you know is brand new to Minecraft and either hasn't done a lot of YouTube watching, is purposely trying to play the game on their own without any outside influence, or is just new, has a couple of friends that are into it, but those friends aren't around all the time to show them the ropes, then I'd be curious to see where they feel the communication in Minecraft is lacking and where they feel it's fine. Like where are they enjoying the mystery of poking around and trying to figure out new things and where does it become frustrating again probably citing your comparator and your redstone example like i've definitely heard a lot of people that are not even new to the game be just like i don't know how redstone works i haven't bothered to try to figure it out it doesn't the game doesn't make it intuitive for me so therefore i'm just not going to bother yeah i i definitely have glazed over at descriptions of redstone in the past but i find that text descriptions of redstone i glaze over even more than i do practical examples that oh, are shown sure. to me. so it, it's really going to depend on what kind of learning people get the most out of you know um a curious discussion and one that we will have to nip in the bud there because that's really all we've got time for in this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live when we record it in discord every week we have monthly minecraft audio hangouts where we talk to everybody about what's been going on in their minecraft lives and we've got our quarterly hangout coming up as well so if you're interested in any of the behind the scenes news about the podcast that is the place to go we currently have 317 patrons which is an increase of seven from last week so thank you to everybody who has checked up on their patreon memberships and made sure that everything was okay after the recent billing issues or anybody else who has jumped on board since Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Make sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. 
You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. That's the only place that we look for emails for the show. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. If you don't have an in-game reference guide, then it's potentially the next best thing. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on social media. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com, including the Sizzle Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Recently talked about The Witcher Season 3 on that show. I am Joel Duggan on social media, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday most of the time. Fridays are Lego. The rest of the time is set up for Minecraft. However, I have been sprinkling some extra Palea streams throughout the week. So if you're interested in that game, check it out. Twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is not infinite. I just looked that up on the wiki.